Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 17 of the Trap Rock 101 podcast. From Pirates and Poets, I am your host, John Burns. Uh, today's episode features an interview, a conversation with my good friend, Dennis McCoggy. McCoggy, McCoggy. Uh, I should just go ahead and tell you the story behind that nickname. Um, you, you may notice that myself and a lot of my buddies refer to him as McCoggy, McCoggy, McCoggy. That is because for years... I was totally incapable of pronouncing Dennis's last name correctly. I called him all kinds of horrible things until I finally started calling him McConaughey for a while, as in Matthew McConaughey. So for several years, I referred to Dennis as Matthew, I mean, as Dennis McConaughey. And then one day, I just said his last name correctly. It was a miracle, and I celebrated that miracle by saying it three times, McCoggy, 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 and it's kind of stuck. So I hope you enjoy this uh, this uh, podcast featuring my friend Dennis McCoggy, McCoggy, McCoggy. So, uh, who is Dennis? He is a longtime trap rocker, um, the front man, founder of Tropical Soul. We spend a lot of time talking about the history of Tropical Soul. Um, it's gone through kind of two or three different versions of it over the years, but Dennis and his songwriting um, have been the the constant in that act for a long time. They've played uh, Meeting of the Minds for 20 or 21 years consecutively. We talk about that. Um, we talk about trap rock in the northeast part of the United States. Um, that, that's kind of an interesting, it's a short part of this conversation, but it's a pretty interesting part of it. Uh, because it kind of confirmed a suspicion that I've had for a long time. Um, Dennis lives in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, not that far from Jimmy and the Parrots. In New Jersey, and uh, we kind of talk about the fact that there's not a whole lot going on north of of, uh, of those guys, and and how maybe we can fix that as a genre and a community to get the music up there more often. So uh, check that part out. We also talk about Dennis's new album. The new album is called uh, Best Day Ever. You can order it at tropicalsoul.net. So uh, listen to the end to hear us talk about that. Uh, Sue McCoggy, Dennis's wife, band manager, also makes an appearance. Uh, Sue is one of my favorite people and my tequila drinking soulmate. So glad we could uh, we could fit her in as well. So uh, enjoy this conversation with Dennis McCoggy. Don't forget to share it if you enjoy it. To share it uh, on Facebook, Twitter, all those good places. You can find the Trop Rock 101 podcast uh, on our website, piratesandpoets.net. Uh, you can also find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. Any place that you can listen to a podcast, you should be able to find us on. So uh, spread the word and enjoy this episode number 17 with Dennis McCoggy. First thing, how I started getting into uh, following Jimmy Buffett. And uh, really, I guess it goes back to when I first started playing guitar, which was when I was 20 years old, a number of years ago. And um, uh, started to really focus less on bands and more on uh, singer-songwriters, James Taylor, uh, Jim Croce, um, Cat Stevens, and of course, Jimmy, Buff- Jimmy Buffett was lumped in with those guys, naturally. And uh, so I think the first, the first song that really uh, stood out for me was, um, was Come Monday. That was the first one that was really on the radio a lot. And uh, of course, kind of put him on the map as far as, as, far as uh, you know, uh, contemporary pop and, and, you know, sort of country crossover music. And, um, so from there, you know, I started learning a few of his songs and uh, and got to listen more. Bought, bought a few albums, and this is back in the uh, this is back in the let's see, uh, this would have been back in the eighties. Uh, so I bought a few albums and and started getting to know his music a little bit better. And um, 
and just became a just became a fan. And uh, we um, at some point, Sue and I got a, a season uh, ticket to uh, a local place called Merriweather Post, which is down near Baltimore, and got to see him uh, in concert through that. And uh, that kind of really took on a whole new uh, whole new life, as you know, with the uh, the uh, how, how the concerts are and what's involved in all all that stuff. It takes you to a whole another level of Buffett and the whole uh, uh, the whole party atmosphere around him and his music. So we really we really uh, caught on to that pretty quickly and, and uh, started to follow and even more and uh, buy more records and 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 eventually as I, I I've been playing guitar and playing in bars part time for quite a while at that point and um, we uh, we heard about this local parrothead club that was starting up in our area and um, so this was about uh, this is about twenty twenty years ago and um, so. We decided to to join the Parrothead Club, and we got to know right pretty quickly. We got to know a bunch of real Parrothead uh, hardcore fans, and, and and met some really nice people. And um, at some point, shortly, a few months after we started the club, and it was only a, it was only a handful of people at that time. Maybe there was a dozen people or so. And so we, we kind of uh, I kind of approached the, the club leader, club president at the time, and said, "Hey." Uh, I know a handful of buffet tunes. Would you think it would be cool if I, you know, brought my guitar and, and to the next social meeting next month and, and played some songs for everybody? And he said, that'd be great. That'd be a great idea. So I did that. And uh, and then afterward, he said, hey, I got this friend of mine who plays bass and sings. And he's a really good singer. And um, he does some buffet songs. And maybe the next time you come, you come out to do this, um, I can get him to come along and you guys can do something you know, together. I said, that sounds great. So, um, so the next time he, uh, uh, he, he, we came out to the, to the meeting and, um, I met this guy, Al Anderson, who was a bass player and singer. And, uh, he sat in with me for a handful of songs. And by the end of the song number three or four, he was singing harmonies that were perfect and playing bass lines, which were great. And we were having a great time. And I was, I kept, I couldn't help but start thinking, you know, gosh, what, I mean, we might have something here. This could be you know, something that could could uh, actually grow and become a thing. So we did it for a little while, and then we decided to to really work and start getting uh, getting enough songs together to do full gigs. And um, and the Paradise thing was just kind of exploding at, at that time. And and then I found out about um, uh, this guy named Sonny Jim White, and. Uh, Found out there was also a, a segment of this group of musicians who were out there who were doing some great original music, uh, and it was all Buffett kind of based and kind of tropical sounding, and and uh, so I, I got my hands on uh, uh, Sandbar Serenade CD by by James, and uh, I just I just fell in love with that, and I thought you know what maybe this could be something something cool, and I'll eventually you know we could eventually start writing some songs together, and um, so that. That Parrothead Club meeting where you got up and played, that was kind of the first Tropical So gig, but Tropical So wasn't officially a thing yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we 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 uh, we played together for a while and got to the point where if we we knew that if we wanted to start booking some gigs, we had to come up with a name. So that took about three years. No, <laughs> three years. <laughs> it took several uh, get-togethers to, to figure out a name that was that would work and we wouldn't be. Uh, stealing from somebody too directly or anything like that. So 
Uh, so, yeah, shortly after we, we started playing together, it became, um, it became Tropical Soul. So had you uh, had you played? Uh, obviously, you were playing guitar and, and stuff. But were you like really gigging seriously before that, or was it more just kind of a back porch hobby kind of thing? I was gigging. My actually, my brother and I both started playing guitar around the same time. And like I said, I was twenty years old when I bought my first guitar, and uh, he just kind of picked up. He, he was three years younger than me. Is and uh, so he kind of picked up my guitar and started playing. And turns out he, he, he learned way faster than I did, was way better than I was. <laughs> and uh, so we eventually started working on stuff together. He bought a guitar similar to mine. And we eventually started working on some Beatles tunes and some uh, Charlie Daniels and John Denver and uh, uh, Jim Croce and, and James Taylor and, uh, and eventually some Buffett tunes as well. And so we played part-time just on weekends uh, for, I guess about, I guess about three years or so. And just when we were starting to break into some of the, some of the better venues in the area and get our, our name out there, he kind of decided he, he didn't really want to do it anymore. He was tired of it. And um, so I decided that I wasn't near, near tired of it yet. And that I was going to go out and, uh, and play, play solo. So we had a gig booked at a place called Boobie's Brewery named after a guy named Aloysius, Aloysius Booby, who uh, is a, is, it was an uh, actual brewery, actually still is. And uh, that was one of, the, one of the cool places to play in the area. And uh, so we got a gig book there, and I decided that instead of, instead of begging them to try, to try me out solo, I would just show up and, and tell them my brother couldn't make it for that gig. <laughs> and that's what I did. Uh, showed up by myself and said, Hey, he didn't make it. Uh, I'm here. So I'll, I'll play if you want me to. And they said, sure. And afterward, the guys, the, the guy who did the booking said, uh, man, he said, I didn't, I didn't realize you, you, you were, you know, were strong enough to, to, uh, to play solo. And, uh, of course we had a great built in crowd that we brought that night. And, uh, so it was a very positive experience all the way around. And, uh, so I played solo for a number of years until the early, um, until um, see, I guess the early '90s, and that's when the when the club started to form. No, that's that's the voice in the background is yeah, Sue Makagi Makagi Makagi. I might have my dates a little bit a little bit mixed up there, but uh, that's kind of the chronology of, of late uh, 90s. Half a little on. <laughs> that would be late '90s. All right, it's so the late '90s. Thanks. Um, so it's interesting. It's always interesting to me um, when I'm talking to the, you know, the first and second, even third generation of trop rockers um, like yourself, that that change. Almost all of you were a Buffett fan. Then you got into Parrothead Clubs, which to me, those are two different animals related. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But a Jimmy Buffett fan and a Parrothead are not necessarily even remotely the same thing. Right. Um, and then then um, most of you. I'm, and I'm talking about Jerry. I'm talking about James here. Um, you know, they had already been playing music before, um, and and then it all kind of comes together. And it sounds like that's what happened with you as well. Pretty much the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, once I found out about Sonny Jim, uh, then it was Jim Morris, and it was uh, John Frenzy, and and uh, Jimmy Maravintano. Uh, we met way back um, at the New England Parrothead Convention one year, just by chance. We weren't. I wasn't playing there. I think Sue and I just went there to, to enjoy the convention. 
And um, so we, we met through that. I started, I started realizing there's this whole sort of um, separate group who are, who are really, uh, you know, starting to, to um, you know, play a lot of buff stuff, but also starting to write their own music. And it was becoming, that music was becoming pretty popular. Yeah, and, and I want to talk later on more about the, the evolution of your songs and of your, your music. Um, but when I first probably heard your your uh, songs, and I probably first heard you on one of the Jim Hain compilation albums. Um, okay, yeah. But it was probably, you know, it was probably three or four years before I realized that you were in Pennsylvania. Oh, really? Uh, but because I think the, the name Tropical Soul and then the fact that your style of music um, – is what I refer to as like classic trop rock. It, that Florida, <laughs> that Florida, Sunny Jim, Jim Moore sound. Um, and it was probably, you know, I first got into things in 2005, and it was probably 2008, 2009 before I realized, hey, he's a Yankee. He lives in Pennsylvania. <laughs> hey, I, I, I know anyone who lives north of Kima is a, is a Yankee to you. So. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. The people in Subrook are Yankees. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I probably did really think, um, think that you were a florida guy and if sunday jim was your first uh you know person you heard from the trop rock world that makes sense you had john patty on the records so it all kind of makes sense you know yeah 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 it, it all it all just started to, to uh sort of fall together in a strange way and and this whole community uh of, of musicians and friends grew out of it and um it's still going today and it, like you just referred to there's become multiple generations of of uh, uh us guys as you want to put it that way um i mean there's there's bands and and singer songwriters out there who i'm not even familiar with i see their names on, on different things i'm like I haven't heard that guy I haven't heard that guy I haven't heard that guy you know and, you know so so the old guard which i consider myself to be sort of part of um there's not that many of, of us around anymore um you know some bands and some folks have moved on and and then other things, or, or just uh, you, know, um, you know, quit quit playing music or whatever. But uh, you know, some of us have been doing it for for a pretty long time. The Clips of the Nuts were one of the first ones I actually met uh, down in Key West um, and got to know pretty well. Um, guys like that. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's become a whole big uh, community of friends and family. You know. Yeah, I know. I know that you guys, as Tropical Soul, have had quite the run of playing uh, Meeting in the Minds, and I mean the real meeting of the minds behind the Casa walls, not necessarily the stuff in town. So how'd you get into that? And how have you managed to maintain, I mean, 20 years, 21 years. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, well, I guess, um, we got invited to play the first year. It was a, um, was a party at, um, dirty, dirty Harry's. That's right. Dirty Harry's. And uh, we got to, got to play for the virtual parrothead club. I think it was called. And uh, so we went down basically for that, and then we got invited to do to do um, a gig on the small stage at the Casa the next year, and also open up the Street Fest. And um, and so, and then Alex Lice took over took over the convention and uh, the musical entertainment, and all that stuff, and and he became friends with us, and and uh, um, he he put us on the bill every year for about ten years and a row or 12 years in a row, something like that. Street fest. Yeah. We opened the street fest 10 years in a row. And uh, so that was, that was uh, all from the graciousness of, of Alex really that we got to do that. And, um, and then we, we kind of got 
uh, some side gigs at a little bar called the Hogsbreath Saloon, which um, helped us stay in there. So we had a, a good solid run of, of seven days in a row of playing um, a, a set gig every year. And being down there for that, you know, for that and the convention gigs just kind of worked hand in hand and we could make it, you know, financially feasible for us to, to go every year. Even, even if we got just, uh, you know, one, one gig from the convention, if it wasn't on the big stage or if it was, you know, whatever it was, um, uh, even after, even after our 10 year run, we could still make it work. So that's how we ended up having that long run of 21 years, 20 years. It would have been 21. Would have been 21 this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to guess that other than maybe Sunny Jim, that's the longest run that anybody's had. I think Calypso Nuts. Maybe the Calypso Nuts might, might, might have had a year or two on us. Um, I'm not, I'm not exactly, I have to talk to Robbie to, to confirm that. I think they might have a year on us, but uh, we're, I know we're up there pretty, pretty good. And uh, as far as um, consecutive appearances at uh, many of the mines, so. Pretty, that that was always something we we always uh, pride ourselves on. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good uh, list to be high on. So, uh, you got into the hog's breath, and the hog's breath has become, in some ways, your form of touring. You go down there <laughs> before COVID. You were going down there several times a year for a week at a pop. Yeah, um, so we did tropical soul there for a number of years. Um, and we're, we got to the point where we we're doing full weeks down there for meeting over the meeting of minds week. Uh, I, I finally went to the, uh, the GM there at the time and said, uh, would you consider having me come down other weeks during the year? And he said, man, he said, no, nah. he said, we just do that. We only do the parrothead thing that, that one week. He said, that's the only, that's the only time we do that, that thing. I said, I said, I'll play whatever you guys want. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't play any kind of special kind of music. I'll, I'll stick to stuff that's not, you know, uh, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, play Margaritaville eight times a night. Uh, somebody requests something, I'll play it. But uh, if you guys want me to do just acoustic pop and some original stuff and and things that are a little more appealing to to uh, every, you know a regular regular crowd, um, I said I'd be happy to do that. So I got invited to do that, and, and I think the first year I did a partial week. And then the next year I did a full week. And then after another year or so, I was doing uh, New Year's week, a week in February, a week in April, a week in, uh, a week in June, and, a week, and then the uh, Media Minds week. And that went on for about, oh gosh, it was about uh, eight years maybe or so. Yeah, until COVID came around, huh? Until COVID came around, yeah. Yeah, yeah that really threw a wrench into everything, obviously, for, for – all the uh, bars and restaurants and musicians alike. Um, and uh, so I'm not sure what the future is with, uh, with the hog's breath and, and, and out of town, um, out of town musicians. But um, I think things uh, probably will change uh, some degree anyway. Yeah. It'd be almost impossible for it not to change yeah. at this point. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, there's still, I know that, um, they're still not uh, not nearly as busy as they would be uh, this time of year, um, any other year, and uh, so they're they're just like everyone else down there and across the country and the world really is just struggling to get back to you know some kind of new normal, yeah, making profits again and, and making money. Right. Well, I want to uh, I want to talk about um, 
the the timeline of Tropical Soul. Um, you, know, you talked about starting to write your own music. When was the first album? I mean, uh, we got to hear the John Patty story. Um, <laughs> but I, I'd just like to hear you kind of talk about, you know, maybe the first uh, 15 or 20 years of Tropical Soul. Uh, I, I know there's been lots of versions of Tropical Soul, so... Yeah, they're, they're having a lot of versions. In fact, um, I realized in making this newest record that John Patty and I are the only two uh, that are on all the records together, <laughs> all uh, six of them. And uh, yeah, so the first the first record was with the, my original partner Al, who I met through the Parrothead Club, and we decided that if we were going to play, you know, Meeting in the Minds and sort of get in this, you know, jump into this genre that we would be best served to have some original music to, to, to present to people. And so we set out to, to write an album and get it ready for Meeting Minds in two, uh, that would have been, uh, get it ready for Meeting Minds 2000. And, um, so we, we did that. We, we enlisted our friend, Scott Ryan, uh, from the Peter Mayer group and formerly with Cheryl Crow. And I was with the uh, Almond Betts band, uh, from St. Louis and um, he uh, he was up for the projects so that him and his him and his kids came out here to our house and stayed for I don't know five days or so or and we recorded uh, dog alert <laughs> sorry the hockey dog <laughs> yeah. well we have two dogs here today my son's dog's here too so we, we have a daycare yeah, it's like doggy daycare <laughs> uh, we call it camp but. Um, where, uh, let's see, where, where was I? Um, uh, Scott Brown so, came to your house. So Scott Brown came to the house. We recorded the, the rhythm tracks uh, here at a local studio called Right Coast, which was pretty brand new. And um, we weren't able to completely finish the album in the time that we had Scott here. So we planned to go out to St. Louis uh, um, later that month and finish, uh, finish up the vocals and some other odds and ends that we wanted to, do, to get on the record. So we did that, went out there and, and uh, pretty much finished the record. And Scott was going to put some finishing touches on everything. And while that was going on, my, my then partner, Al, decided that he, was, he had had it with um, the, whole, the whole music business. And uh, he just he told me one day he was done. And this was midstream of making this record. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So and he, had written, he had written, I think, three songs for the record. And um, one of them, um, he did He did let me put on the records called Sand in My Shoes. That was a song that he wrote. And he had written two others that I decided to leave off the record. And we got um, uh, I did a cover of American Dream, and then, or I'm sorry, a cover of uh, Jersey Girl, rather. And then I recorded a song by Tina Gullickson from the Coral Reapers called Mango Tango to replace those two songs that, that uh, Al had written. And so I went back out to St. Louis again and uh, recorded those songs with Scott. And um, we, uh, we got the record out in time for Media Minds. And just to back up to the John Patty thing, that, that spring when we, were, when we were talking about doing this record, I just, we just happened to go down to um, uh, down near Baltimore and uh, see John and um, a guy named Sean Palin playing in their duo, which was called Key Lime Pie. And... Um, John was all of, I think, 15, puka shells and you know, spiked hair and everything. <laughs> um, but I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe what, 
what a pan player he was. Here's this kid, he was a kid, you know, and uh, but he could really play. He could play well. He could improvise. He he, he had great feel. He had great timing. He had great, you know, uh, really good hands. And um, so I talked to him after their gig and, and said, "Would you be interested in coming up to uh, Lancaster and recording a few songs on our new CD we're working on?" He said, "Sure." So uh, so sometime later that that spring, early summer, the album took a lot longer than it should have, but. Uh, early summer, he came up. His, his dad actually brought him to the studio because um, I don't think he was dr- driving yet or couldn't drive out of state, at least. He was living <laughs> down in Maryland. Uh, so his dad brought him up and he recorded, I think, on three or four songs on the first record. And um, we became, you know, for guys, for a couple of guys that are a number of years apart in age, we became buddies and have been, um, you know, great friends ever, ever since then. And, and uh, you know, I've played a lot of gigs together, and and uh, like I said, he's recorded on all of the, the other five um, Tropical Soul records. So, yeah. And what was and what was the first one called? It was just called Tropical Soul. Awesome. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out the timeline here. I'm I'm looking online. Because uh, JP's only a year younger than me, and you're saying he was 15, and I'm going, okay, the years aren't matching up here. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Let's see. I'm pretty sure it was 15, 15 or 16. I'm just trying to figure out what year that um, that record came out, been, you know. This would have been in 2000. Oh, yeah, then he was probably about, he was probably 17 or so, because I would have been, uh, I would have been 19, 18 turning 19 in 2000, and he's a little bit younger than me, so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Still, it's it's a good, it's a great story, you know. Dad, hey, Dad, can your son come play on my record? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. And his dad's a great guy. We've become friends with, with his parents as well. And uh, even his, his, his younger brother, Russ, a little bit, who was, who was, a, who was a, a college baseball player and was pursuing a career in baseball. And so we've gotten to know the whole family pretty well. And, uh, and they're just great, great folks all, all the way up and down. Yeah. So JP's been the one constant through all the records. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Of course, everybody knows about Heather, but but connect this to the, to the current times with Heather as your main. Yeah. Uh, so when, um, when, when Al left the duo, um, I immediately kind of panicked. I was like, I got this, I got this record coming out. I've got slots in Key West to play for media, the minds. I've got no buddy to play with at that time. I didn't really know anybody. You know, I've heard of Sonny Jim and a few other people, but you know, it wasn't like now I could, I could go through my role that Rolodex of, of friends and, and, uh, players and, and, you know, probably, probably scrounge somebody up fairly easily back then. I didn't know anybody. So, um, Scott Bryan was going to come down to play with me. That was, that, that was kind of a scheduled thing. And then Scott, I was telling Scott Kirby about the situation. And he said, he said, listen, I got this guy, Lou London, who lives in, uh, in Jersey. He said, he's a great little player. He plays lead guitar. He sings. He's coming down to play some gigs with me. Here's his number. Call him up and see if he'll if he'll play. So I talked to Lou London, and uh, he came down and played that that uh, first meeting of the minds after we came out with a new record. And uh, and then I came back home and didn't uh, still didn't have a, a permanent partner. Didn't want to pursue it solo. So I started looking at some ads um, in the local uh, music magazines or newspapers. And uh, came across this ad that said, uh, seasoned guitarist um, in the likes of Eric Clapton and somebody else, I don't remember exactly, 
um, looking for looking for working band. And uh, so I called this guy up and we, we talked for a little while. His name's Randy. And we talked and I said, well, you, you must live fairly close to me because in the same um, first three digits of your phone number, same as mine. He said, yeah, I live on Indian Springs Drive. <laughs> I was like, that's the same street I live on, dude. <laughs> so, so it turns out he, he, was, he was living at the time. He's not there anymore. But at the time he was living about 10 doors. It's a pretty long street, but about 10 doors down from me. Wow. And so, uh, so I said, well, you know, what are you doing tomorrow night? Why don't we get together and see if we, if we have something? So he, uh, he came over, I think, the next evening, walked, walked down from his place with his guitar in his hand. We went down the basement, and, and uh, we played a couple, uh, maybe half a dozen songs together that we kind of both thought we would know and, and could just you know jump right into. And one, I remember one of them was Southern Cross, and we played, uh, we played uh, Your Mama Don't Dance, Kenny Loggins' song, and a few other ones. And after I heard his playing and his singing, I stopped and said, uh, I got a question for you. Do you have any Hawaiian shirts? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yeah. I said, cool. So I think we got, I think we got, I think we got a duo here. So that started a nine year, uh, a nine year run with Randy and I and, and other people in and out. Like, you know, we, we would do uh, occasionally do a trio and have John Patty play or do a trio and have uh getting Jerry Groff play drums or, uh, Scott Ryan would play with us occasionally. So we, we would kind of mix and match a little bit and add people just for certain gigs. And uh, so that, that was a nine-year run. And then we finally uh, we finally decided to part ways after that. And then that, that's around the time when um, I started to uh, play more with our drummer, Jerry Groft, at the time. And, uh, and then got to, got to know Heather and, and Dave pretty well. And then we started. We started uh, doing some, just some, initially some special gigs together. We got a gig scheduled at the uh, at the Whitaker Center in Harrisburg, which is a really a really beautiful theater that's that everybody uh, uh, played there's way more famous than I am, put it that way. <laughs> and um, so they agreed to play that gig with me. And then we started doing sort of one-offs here and there. And then we we did a couple of uh, tours. We and we started to play. The Hog's Breath and Median Minds, and before you know, we were we were playing uh, fairly often. Even though they had uh, a duo uh, called Copper Sky, which was not trap rock, not anything sort of much like much like we were doing, and um, and uh, so they they kept going with Copper Sky and would would play with me whenever they could, and and then I became part of Copper Sky for a while and played with with them whenever I could, and. Uh, <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we, we we developed a great relationship and and ended up recording um, three three records, I guess, as a as the basis of Tropical Soul, and uh, we won a duo uh, slash trio of the year three years in a row uh, from the Trap Rock Awards. Uh, I think twenty fifteen to twenty seventeen. No, twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen to twenty fifteen is what I meant. Yeah. Um, and uh, so. Um, yeah, we, we we did that for quite a few years, and and uh, Dave has since kind of kind of dropped out. He's had a few health issues, but uh, I still play with Heather whenever I can, and and uh, uh, we still have a lot of fun making music together. She's she is actually actually on the new album, which uh, just came out, and uh, Dave actually played bass on a couple of the songs. So we still we're still you know still connected uh, at least in in some way. 
Yeah, you know, when I listen to um, your catalog, to me, there's a there's a big difference. Whichever record came before Blue Jeans and Blue Skies, to me, there's uh, a really big difference between, I guess, the fourth record and the fifth record as far as the sound and and even the the lyrics to an extent. Um, it's like the the first four records to my ear are classic trap rock. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, then, then, then there's definitely a sh- It's still trap rock, but it's not the, you know, the Florida trap rock. Uh, if that makes yeah. sense. And yeah. I wonder if Heather, if Heather and 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 these other people you're talking about, the Copper Sky influence didn't didn't have something to do with you, because you, know, you were pretty consistent in sound for a long time, to my ears. And then you know, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I think definitely had an influence on how I was writing it. Um, you know, started to change the way I approached writing uh, to some degree, at least. Uh, and, you know, I always saw it as leaning a little bit more toward, toward country and a little bit more toward uh, focusing more on the vocal harmonies um, uh, as opposed to, as opposed to uh, maybe the percussive sounds and, and the uh, sort of uh, Caribbean sound as much. Uh, we yeah. kind of leaned a little bit away from that. And, you know, I wanted to write some songs that weren't necessarily, um, Trap rock. I love writing trap rock songs, and I've written um, you know, some that I'm still pretty pretty proud of. But I wanted to expand a little bit, and I thought there was a something special about the three of us that that we could really focus on if we if we uh, if we just change the sound up a little bit, and um, it really worked. I think I, I always I always felt that harmony wise, we were probably one of the better um, sort of groups in our in our community. Uh, in our in our harmony singing and recording and and so I started writing writing with that in mind with you know how how this this song come together with three voices singing all at the same time so it kind of changed my approach a little bit to the way I was writing yeah but it's, I, I that that had just occurred to me just now as we talked when you started talking about Heather and and Copper Sky because I don't think I realized that you played with Copper Sky some it makes perfect sense yeah but, I did you know, I did yeah. And I, I only did one that was kind of a, usually a special event or something like that. Um, not, I didn't do too many of their regular bar gigs with them, but uh, if they had a special event where they could, have, number one, afford me, because I'm, I'm very expensive, I charge, <laughs> you know, I charge about 15 grand a show. Um, so when they, when they had that in their budget, they, they would hire me and bring me along. And, and, you know, I learned a ton of their songs and, and uh, we had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun playing those songs because they were all, uh, they they were all completely not all completely new to me, but completely new to my anything that I had learned before. And then I tried to, to learn to sing harmony with those guys, which I wasn't never was my thing. But it it pushed me to expand my you know what I could do as well. So it was it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed playing with those guys as as part of Copper Sky. Yeah, so I, it's kind of like um, you know the Mike Nashes and the uh, Melanie House the. The JD Edges, they've definitely changed the sound of trap rock. And I don't mean, of course, their music is very different, but I think they've influenced even the hardest core of trap rockers like a Sunny Jim to be a little more rock and roll, a little more country, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. But Heather in, in the tropical soul world, we can blame that on Heather, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah, she, uh, well, she, you know, she brings a special, obviously a special voice in a, in a little literal sense. Um, to anybody she plays with, she's a you know phenomenal singer and a um, 
if, if anybody doesn't know this, she's a, she's a tremendous guitar player as well. And, um, and also, um, you know, she, she does some writing. So her and I, her and I uh, collaborated on a few songs. Um, I helped her with a few songs and she's helped me with a, uh, with a few songs. And, and, uh, and uh, so we've, we worked together on, on that as well, but she definitely has, has influenced any, any change in the, in the sound is, you know, when you have somebody who's that good, if you don't, if you don't showcase them, then you're, 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 you're not, you know, you're not taking advantage of what you have, you know? Right. So I always felt that with everybody who, who we worked with. It's like, you get talented people work with you, show off their stuff, man. Cause you know, you know, it's just, it's just going to make everything better. Yeah. Use them and abuse them. That's right. <laughs> well, I abuse them. They abuse me pretty good too. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're caught up. So I want to come back in a minute and talk about the new record, Best Day Ever. Uh, but a few other things I want to touch on. Um, first off, we can't talk about Tropical Soul without talking about the manager of Tropical Soul. Oh, the manager. Yeah. Yeah. That's my wife, Sue. She's she's um, she's been uh, instrumental in, in a lot of ways in in our success over the years in terms of keeping uh, keeping my focus going in the right direction sometimes um to my chagrin but um and really being the the the, the biggest cheerleader for tribal soul uh out of, out of anyone and really pushing uh us to you know keep working and keep keep recording and keep writing and 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 also um working hard behind the scenes with all the logistics of travel and uh you know booking gigs and making contacts and following through and, you know, getting, you know, uh, merchandise hats and the T-shirts and all that, all those things are all uh, basically done by, by Sue. And, you know, I know I know a lot of people, you know, I won't, you know, pick anybody out, but a lot of people who don't get a lot of support from from their, maybe their family or their spouses in, in a musical environment. And uh, Sue's been my biggest cheerleader ever, ever since she first heard me, I think. So that's, that's, um, that's a big part of, the success that we've been able to we've been able to have for sure. Yeah, I, I think if you She's a pretty cool chick too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my tequila, my tequila soulmate. So, <laughs> yeah, I think if you look at the, the people who had long term success in, in this world, um, they all had that significant other. Sonny Jim, Jim Morris, Jerry Diaz. Yeah, you know, that were, you know. In all those cases, fairly too heavily, you know, to really, really involved in in their careers. So, absolutely, you know, it makes a big makes a big difference to have that support. Number one, instead of instead of um, you know wrestling with someone to to um, to be able to go out and you know spend your weekends you know out of the bars and, and doing events and traveling and and uh, taking time away from your family, uh, having someone who supports you in. And being able to do that doesn't make you feel guilty for it. Um, means it means a great deal. And just having an extra, an extra hand, an extra head, an extra uh, opinion on all the decisions that go into you know, making records and, and doing merchandise and, and putting, uh, you know, we call them tours, mini tours together. You know, two, three week tours sometimes. Doing those kinds of things, having somebody behind the scenes who's willing to put the work into to make those things uh, uh, successful. That means means a whole lot to, to anybody who has that kind of support, for sure. Yeah, and having somebody sitting at the merch table for the whole show, as opposed to you trying to sell from the stage, makes a huge difference <laughs> in the bottom line. 
Oh, it sure does. Yeah. So, it sure does. I'm just, I'm just giving a shout out to all the road managers and sound people and merch people out there, you know. I'll tell you what, everybody's, you know, a, a lot of people have them, you know, it's, it's something that takes a, takes a huge load off of, off of, you know, off of everything around you. And all you have to really worry about is, is, uh, you know, performing and, and making sure you're, you're on top of your game that way. And, and a lot of the other stuff is, is, is out of your hair and, uh, you can, it's just makes life a lot easier to, to perform. Yeah. So is, is Sue nearby? She's, yeah. she's nearby. She's right, she's right okay. here. I I'm trying to keep the dogs quiet. Uh, okay. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind hearing Sue's input on this next question. Uh, Dennis sure. and Sue both, if you want to. Um, so Florida is obviously the epicenter of trap rock. Um, Texas is pretty close. We're, we're giving them a run for their money. Yes. And in the yeah. last, you know, the last five years or so, uh, the Midwest is really blown up. Um, it's kind of a triangle. The West coast has, um, a few hot spots, but I think probably, you know, um, the Northeast corner of the country is really under, from what I can tell, underserved. Um, you know, there, there's not a lot of artists that are playing original music up there, or at least that we're aware of around the country. Well, he'll be right back, John. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. So, I mean, I think, I feel like you guys are right on the edge of, from what looks like from Texas, a trap rock no man's land. So how far, how far off am I on that? The, the no, Northeast corner? You're, no, you're really right. I mean, you know, originally there were some Jersey Philly people. Well, then Frenzy moved to Florida. Um, we have Jimmy and the Parrots in the Jersey area. But like even in our area, there's really nobody. And in fact, our Parrothead Club shut down last year. So, yeah, it's kind of a shame. Yeah, well, I, I guess what I want to get at is, to, to my knowledge, there is no national level act or maybe even, you know, a regional level act north of the tropical so Jimmy and the Parrots line, kind of. I don't think so. I, you know, because even when you have New England Convention and you go up there, there I don't know of any, and I might get in trouble because there might be somebody who is playing music, but I really don't know of anybody from up in the New England area. No. So why, why is that, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. It's too damn cold. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me because both, uh, both Buffett and Chesney, you know, they're some of the biggest acts that go up and play Boston and, and places like that. But it's interesting to me that there's nobody that's, I mean, Scott Kirby, I guess, is from... Well, I was going to say to, Scott Kirby. But he's but been he's in Florida so long. That, a Key West guy. Yeah, so it's just interesting to me that nobody has... Maybe the people who should have became those guys just leave New England because they wanted to... Maybe they should have. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't blame them for that, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's hard, well, I, it's hard to feel real tropical when you're, when you're uh, in, a, you know, six feet of snow every year. <laughs> after, yeah, after it, it's just interesting to me, and I wanted to get y'all's take on that since, like I said, I feel like you're right on the edge of that no man's land for trop rock so yeah yeah you know and it's it's tough because in this area you know and and we're pretty tuned in with the musicians though so we'll get a, a text or a call or an email hey i'm coming through your area can you try to get me something and this whole area we've kind of lost touch with everybody that's why the club shut down you know we had a couple of events 
and we'd be lucky if we'd get four people to come out. And that's, that's tough. And that's why I think with Dennis, it's been good for him that he has the tropical soul thing, like with the parrot heads, but he also has the other thing where he can go into a bar locally and play just a regular gig. Yeah. And I think most everybody has those local gigs where they're, there's a, still a little bit of the tropical soul or Sonny Jim or whoever you are, but you're also right. playing to a bar crowd, you know? Yeah. Being, being able to do, if you have the ability to do um, uh, sort of both things, it really opens up, uh, opens up the world for you, especially if you are uh, trying to do it as a full-time, as a full-time job. Um, it really gets you, it opens up all the places that may not be so interested in doing a, a Jimmy Buffett night or a tropical, you know, uh, sort of a tropical theme night or something like that. So you know, over the years, um, I've, I've relied back on my original roots of James Taylor and, and Jim Croce and Tom Petty and all those great, uh, great folks to, to fill in, uh, fill in the gaps where trop rock is not always, always going to be the most appropriate thing, you know? Yep. I think pretty much Jim Morris probably managed to avoid it, but I think everybody else has to do that from time to time. Just to make yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. And you have to be able to read the crowds, which he's very good at. Um, yeah, usually I can tell, uh, and you know, I, I'll ask for requests, and if people start moving toward toward that stuff or original stuff. I'll you know adjust accordingly. You know, I probably have about uh, between three and four hundred songs that I that I can that I can pull off. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a pretty good catalog. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Having that is, you know, uh, makes it, it makes it easy to sort of read a crowd and say, you know what, this, these guys are kind of a little more country, or this is kind of an older, maybe an uh, older, more urban crowd or something like that, or, you know, whatever it is, and try to just try to, to curb, you know, uh, just curb it to, toward the crowd that's, you know, out there. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the new record, Best Day Ever. Yeah. Are you done with me? Sure, if, if you want to go on, yeah. I like your shirt. I like your shirt, though, Sue. It says tequila, lime, and feeling fine. That should be a song, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There you go, Dennis. That's the start of the next record right there. <laughs> but yeah, best best day ever. Uh, it's been in the works for a while. It's been out in the world for about a month now. And uh, how did we get here? Well, um, as usual, um, I, I got you know a little bit of encouragement from Sue to uh, say saying it's time to get another record out there. Uh, you know, I, I don't, a lot of people who don't know me uh, don't probably know that I'm not a very pro- prolific writer. I'm not the kind that sits around and and, um, and writes every day. I spent a few days down in uh, down in Texas and um, with um, oh God, no, Eric Erdman and. Um, he is a he is a very prolific writer. He writes every day. It's insane. Uh, it's crazy. He puts out like a new record every every two weeks or every week. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. But um, and I admire that greatly because you really get your, your mind is uh, is is constantly opened up to um, to you know uh, open up for song ideas and, and new lyrics and, and new uh, you know new new uh, guitar parts and all the things it takes to write a song. So he's he's totally plugged in all the time, and I'm I'm not so much that way. I I do listen for for things that catch my ear, and I'll put I'll jot them down in my phone now or whatever. 
Um, but I may, they may sit there for six months before I sit down and go, I might use this for a song or come back to my notebook and, and, and uh, gather up some stuff. So um, I've had a few songs, you know, laying around over the past couple of years. One of them actually finished, uh, mostly finished in Mexico. Uh, we were down there yes. um, <laughs> last year. Um, and um, that's called Make It Right. And that actually did make it on the record, as you, as you know. And uh, changed changed it a little bit, but not too much. But uh, so I had some I had some pieces of songs that were uh, that were started, and some other ideas for songs that that um, I had kind of hanging around. So I started to get focused on writing. This, which is the way I have to approach it. I have to set my mind out and say, "You're going to spend X time every day working on writing. Otherwise, I'll just I'll just go and, and eat a hot dog and, and hang out at the back porch." Um, <laughs> so. Um, so it took a little while to get, get all the songs, get most of the songs written. And uh, so we started actually recording that album um, in September of 2019, believe it or not. And um, because of our producer, Stephen Courtney, who's a great musician and a really good friend, um, he not only does music production, but he's got his, his hands in all kinds of other things. He does children's music. He does he tours. He um, he's got he's got like three bands of his own. So between his schedule and my schedule, we got off to a little bit of a slow start. And um, so we we knew we didn't really have a chance to get it out before meeting the minds anyway. So the, our next goal was by by you know um, January. And we between our schedules and and so forth and vacations and people getting sick and everything else that didn't that didn't happen either. And we just started back um, in the studio and, and really cracking down right before COVID hit. And of course, that took about three months out, a chunk out of the out of the uh, recording schedule. And uh, so we finally got back in and um, and we were able to, to finish it up. But it took it took almost exactly a year from from start to finish in the studio uh, and and product yeah, post production as well, mixing, okay. mastering, uh, product, you know, manufacturing, all that stuff too. Uh, so it was a it was a long it was a long process, but um, in, in the end, the couple of positives were that um, two of the songs, "Best Day Ever," in fact, was one. And um, um, let's see, what's the other song that we wrote together? "Somewhere South of I Don't Care." That's right. "Somewhere South of I Don't Care" were written during the during the, the uh, shutdown, and um, so that was that was the, the positive of having a little extra time to to put a couple more songs on there that we didn't originally have. So we got those down and, and um, we had a great, uh, great sessions in the, st- in the studio. My, uh, my son, Dan played uh, all the drums on, on the entire record and uh, played percussion and uh, sang backup on a bunch of stuff and actually sang lead on, uh, on two songs. One of them is um, one that we had co-written together Um Called Still Dreaming, he sang lead on that, and uh, and we had we had a great time in the studio together, and and um, yeah, just just glad to get it out there, and and you know I think this this record's been um, uh, a labor labor of love, especially since it took so long, and and uh, and there were so many challenges in, in getting it you know getting it finished. Yeah, I uh, I gave a copy to um, a friend of mine who uh, is not familiar with you at all she's heard me mention your name a couple times and that's about it 
Uh, uh, Makagi, Makagi, Makagi. Yeah, Makagi, Makagi, Makagi. A few days later, she called me up and she's like, I love this. I played it straight through twice while I was cleaning my house yesterday. So, wow, that's cool. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's great. But it's uh, it's interesting to me in that there's a song on there, uh, Make It Right, which we already talked about, that I think is completely different than anything else in your catalog. Um, and then, yeah. then there's a couple of songs that are still pretty different, but but the title track, Best Day Ever, is like classic Dennis McCauley and Tropical Soul. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, that was kind of intentional. It's... um. You know, I knew this record wasn't going to be as trap rock as some of the others. And um, so I wanted to have a couple of sort of like uh, signature trop, uh, tropical soul tunes in there. Yeah. And uh, so Best Day Ever almost didn't make it because I had started the song and I, there was some parts of it, the interludes or whatever, the, the bridge or whatever, that I, I just couldn't quite finish. And I finally, I finally finished it and it made, made the record. But it was, it was a cla- I knew it was going to be sort of a classic um um, kind of signature sound of some of the stuff I'd done, done before, and I wanted it to be on there. I thought I I could hear show drums in it and all this percussion and all these cool things going on. And I, I worked really hard and, and almost gave up on it a couple of times, and, and finally was able to get it finished. And um, so I was really glad that, that that made the record. And somewhere south, I don't care. Uh, another one that, that I think is is pretty well in the trap rock vein, and, and a few few others and. And again, even this record, there's some things on there that aren't necessarily uh, real tropical, but they it gives. I think the the record still has continuity to it, and yet variety as well. And um, there's a song called "Just for Angels," which is the the last track, and that's that's a, a style of song that I've never really written. It's really kind of a just an acoustic ballad. Um, doesn't have anything to do with palm trees or or uh, rum drinks. Um, just a song that, that kind of fell out of me and I thought I'd, I'd put it on the album and just, uh, you know, it's a completely different feel or message than anything that I've ever written. So um, I was kind of, I was kind of proud that, that it was kind of expanded my horizons a little bit and, and tropical souls a little bit, but yet still stayed true to, you know, the original um, tropical soul. Yeah. I think you did a good, really good job of that. Um how cool was it to have your son in the studio singing on the record with you? It was extremely cool. Um, we had, we had, uh, we had talked about him playing some, some stuff on the last record, uh, the previous record. And, um, he came in the studio and played, he played a conga part on, on one of the songs, I forget what it was now. Um, but he was, he was kind of timid and kind of nervous. And I, uh, you know, he's only been playing drums pretty seriously for a handful of years. And uh, but he, but he's an accomplished guitarist and he's a good singer. Um, but I was concerned. And we started we, over the past couple of years, if I can back up, we've been playing uh, together as Tropical Soul a fair amount as well. Tropical Soul duo, him and I. And um, so that, that helps him to get his confidence up as far as, you know, playing in front of people and being creative and, 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 uh, um, getting his confidence, getting his confidence up. So when we went in the studio, I wasn't sure what to expect because uh, you know what it's like. Uh, it's a whole different environment than playing live. It's very, it's very, uh, it's very, everything is, you know, you're listening to every part with, with, with everybody's ear in the room and making sure it's right, making sure the words are right and everything's in tune and in pitch. And uh, it's really easy to time. overthink everything. It is, and it's 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 very even for me. 
even still after doing um, a bunch of records, it's still intimidating for me to get in the studio because it's completely a different environment than playing live. And um, so, but he, he, you know, hats off to him. He came in and the first, the first day, I mean, he just he laid down a bunch of drum tracks and, and I was in awe. I mean, he played, he played beautifully and uh, he wasn't a bit nervous. And uh, our producer, Steve, um, said, you know what? He said, the way you play, he said, I might, I might be calling you up if somebody needs, a, needs somebody to come in and play drums on something because that's how, that's how solid he felt he was on, on, the, on the drum parts that he played. So I was nice. really impressed with that. And same thing with his guitar playing and, and singing on the, on the record as well. And Heather, Heather actually really helped us out with some of the harmony arrangements. And uh, so that having her working with, with him on harmony parts and, and, and that gave him uh, a little more direction and confidence as well. So I thought I was extremely proud of his, his performance on the record. And uh, yeah, he, it's, it was, it was really fun to see him, see him shine like that and, and, uh, and accomplish something that, that he's really proud of. Cool. And uh, check it out, folks. The new album from Dennis McCoggy and Tropical Soap, Best Day Ever. Um, check out the video for Five Star Die Bar, which is a fun little song. <laughs> that, uh, that I, I feel like I've lived a good chunk of that song. So You, you have lived a good chunk of that song. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so check it out. Uh, it's for sale at tropicalsoap.net. It's on Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, all those kind of places. So check it out. And uh, Dennis, we always wrap up Trap Rock 101 with some rapid fire questions. So okay. if you are ready, I will, I will read them off to you. Fire away. We always start with this question, rapid fire. What is your favorite Jimmy Buffett song? Fire looks at 40. Standard. That's a standard answer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good answer. What's funny about that song is when I, when I first uh, started listening to Buffett a lot, I didn't I didn't care for that song that much. It never I never kind of got it, and, and it, over over time, it just became it just morphed into the, the song that that uh, is always my favorite. I don't I, I don't know why, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, at some point, Earl and I had a conversation. I think it was right about the time Prince died. We were like, you know, everybody was doing the Purple Rain, yeah, uh, at their concerts, and somehow we we were like what's everybody going to play when Buffett dies? And of course, Earl was like, Margaritaville. And I was like, no, no, I really think it'll be, it'll be Pirate Looks at 40. I was like, I just, there'll be some people that do Margaritaville. I was like, but I think it'll be Pirate Looks at 40. You know, yeah. Everybody does yeah. And that's, that's, so. In my mind, that's his signature song for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, favorite cocktail? Crown Royal. Hmm. Straight. Uh, neat or on the rocks? Neat. Ooh, I'm, I might be doing a little bit of that later on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people. I know some people that, that you hang around with who uh, drink a little bit of Crown Royal. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So, uh, Kenny Chesney or Bob Marley? Ooh, wow. Uh, much more familiar with Kenny Chesney's music, and I like his a lot. Um, um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Rapid fire, rapid fire. I'm going to go with Kenny because I, I know his music much better than Bob Marley's, although Marley has, has a, a spot in anyone's heart who likes, uh, likes that tropical, that tropical sound and the sound that he created with the band. I mean, there's no, there's no, uh, nobody quite like him. Uh, but I love, I love Kenny, 
Kenny's uh, writing and, and, and performing. All right. What is your uh, favorite song by an independent trap rock artist? He's looking at Sue, waiting for an answer. I suppose you rapid fire. I would say um, probably Scott Kirby's "If Once You Slept on an Island," which you uh, covered, correct? I did. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Scott Kirby. I, I think that might be the first time somebody's mentioned Scott. So. Yeah, he's somebody that I've, I've always had a great, incredible respect for as, as, a, as a writer who's, who's, um, um, who I've always aspired and always amazed at, at the, the, the lyrics and melodies. And he's such a great guitarist. Uh, he's just, he's one of my all-time favorites, you know. Yeah, and uh, we'll be seeing him in a few weeks in Key West. So, yeah. Excited about that. So, uh, favorite Buffett album, full album. I'm going to say um, one particular harbor. Yeah, I don't think he based on that one yet either. So yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you why. That was the first Buffett album that that I actually bought the entire record. I had some forty fives. I bought that record, and um, that was when I really sunk into some of the some of the deeper uh, deeper cuts. Uh, one particular harbor, of course, is a great song. I mean, it, it's, that's almost like a little. Uh, mini uh, mini series kind of song to me, um, and uh, of course his version of, of Brown Eyed Girl was on that record, which was kind of cool. And and uh, yeah, it's just a great great record all around. All right, uh, what's your favorite beach to visit? I would say um, White Bay, the BVIs, best day ever. Best day ever. <laughs> That's where the song came from. Yep. Yeah, that, that, that beach is something else. I mean, it just has a, has a, has a thing and a vibe, and, and uh, yeah, nothing, nothing quite like it. And I've, I've, been, I've done some research on beaches, too, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the big one. If you were going to uh, build a Mount Rushmore of independent trap rock artists, what four people would you put on it? Ooh. Um, Scott Kirby. Um, Jim Morris, Sonny Jim, um, John Patty, JP. I like it. Final mm, question. Yeah. You can add one more. It has to be somebody who is off stage. Anybody from the community who is not a musician, who would you add? Um, John Frenzy. He's a musician. <laughs> I know John will never hear this interview, but <laughs> no, John's, John's great. Somebody off stage who's not a musician, yeah. radio person, event organizer, something along those lines. Well, I'm going to have to say there's a guy that I know um, who's become a really good friend of mine. And who's who's always uh, supported me and Tropical Soul a lot, and his name is uh, John Burns. Okay, you're you're already on the podcast. You don't have to suck up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Uh, I, I I appreciate that, but I'm I'm not eligible as an answer. So you have to keep digging. Oh, 
we're going to go with your wife who uh, is manages your your career. Okay. And books the gigs. Okay. I'll go <laughs> and, with her. And drinks tequila with me. So <laughs> sounds good. But uh, seriously, I have I've enjoyed so much getting to know y'all. Uh, we've known each other for a long time now, but uh, last three four years really getting to be buddies with you and yeah, you both. Yeah, me too. So, uh, always great spending time with you, and uh, always great hanging out. And you're, you've always been so kind and supportive of of, uh, of us. We 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 really really uh, appreciate that. And I really mean that. Yeah, thank you. Right in here. I have enjoyed it much, and uh, we will uh, see each other in just a few weeks in Key West. Yeah, maybe we'll get to go to a Cubs game together sometime. Maybe. If, if, they, ever, if they ever take down the cardboard cutouts and uh, <laughs> kill the people in yeah. the stadium again. <laughs> that would be nice. So, uh, Dennis, thank you very much. Sue, good to talk to you. I will see both of you in just a few weeks. Thank you, Mike. All right. Be safe, my friend. All right. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.